Thank you, Barry. Well, it's an old story, and maybe you've heard it before. A person visits the local church of Christ, and he's sitting toward the back. And as the church begins to sing, kind of like we were singing just a moment ago, and the, the songs were really exuberant and a lot of praise, and this gentleman sitting in the back shouts, Praise the Lord! And uh, then someone gets up to, to lead a prayer, and, and the person who led this prayer, it was like he was leading us into the very throne room of God, and about halfway into that prayer, again, our guest shouts, Praise the Lord! And so the preacher gets up. And the preacher was feeling really motivated that day. The singing was good. He heard a couple of praise the Lord's. And man, he is really preaching his heart out. And of course, the guy in the back once again shouts, praise the Lord, amen. Finally, an usher went around to that gentleman and he said, he got down and whispered to him. He said, sir, this is the church of Christ and we don't praise the Lord here. Well, I've got some good news for you this morning. Um, we praise the Lord here. And, uh, and so we're in the midst of a message series, and we're looking at the subject of worship. And so far in this message series, we've looked at some very, very important ideas. We've said at the very beginning that, that though we as a church might do a lot of things, uh, worship is at the center of who we are, that everything really radiates out from this moment when we gather together as the body of Christ to worship and praise the Lord. And in that first sermon, we watched and listened as Moses went into that tent of meeting. And as, interestingly, he spoke to God friend to friend, as a friend to a friend. And Moses made a very interesting request. He said, Lord, would you teach me your ways so that I might know you better. And then he said, show me your glory. And then in that second message series, we were with Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And, and there Solomon says, be careful when you walk into the house of God. He, he said, you need to prepare and think and pray about that moment when you stand in the very presence of God to worship. Last Sunday morning, Wilson taught us how perspective is so important as we worship. By the way, thank you for all those emails about those tough questions regarding worship I received. Appreciate that very much. No, seriously, he said worship is ultimately not about what makes us happy, but ultimately it's about having an encounter with God. And as we stand in the presence of God, we become more holy. And so today we're in Psalm 100. And this psalm is a part of ancient Israel's hymn book. And although just five verses in length, it gives us incredible insight into the subject of worship. And really, if I were to boil today's message down to one sentence, one central idea, I think it would be this. How we worship is in response to who we worship. And that's how these five verses in Psalm 100 are structured. I don't know if you paid attention as, as the verses were read a few moments ago, but, but if you did, if you listened carefully, you'll notice verses 1 and 2 talk about how we worship, and then verse 3 of Psalm 100 describes who we worship. And then we see the same structure in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4 and 5, we see how we're to worship, and then verse 5, we see who we're to worship. And so let's think about that first question for just a moment. How do we worship? Well, we're to worship according to Psalm 100 with joy and gladness. 
And of course, worship is serious business. We have an audience of one. As finite creatures, we are coming into the very presence of the infinite one. And when we understand this, it'll give us a sense of awe in the presence of God. We'll have the same sort of perspective that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6 when he went into the temple of God and, and he heard the angelic host saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And so we get a glimpse of this, I think, as well, as well in Psalm 100. In Psalm 100 and verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord is God. We are worshiping God. What an incredible privilege. And so as we worship God, certainly we are to take that seriously. But be careful. Because somewhere along the way, we have heard that we weren't supposed to experience joy and gladness in church. In fact, it was almost as if people thought, you look more holy if you look like it's painful. I remember when I first started preaching, and uh, my mother, she was my biggest encourager. I mean, she, she loved to hear me preach, and, and she would she was so encouraging in both her presence and her words. And I can tell you how many times I would be preaching, and, and my mother would be sitting about four rows back, and I would look at her, and the look on her face, it looked like she was in pain. I mean, I'd be preaching, and I, I would be thinking to myself, because, you know, you kind of have a an internal dialogue even though you're preaching. I mean, you're speaking, but you're sort of having this internal dialogue. And I would be preaching, and I would look at my mother, and that look on her face, that pained look on her face, and I would think to myself, this must really be bad. In fact, some of you have that same look on your face right now as I'm, as I'm preaching. And it wasn't that the sermon was bad. She was, she was nervous for me. I mean, she was sort of, you know, she was with me all along the way, but man, she was, so, she was so nervous and she had that pained look on her face. Somewhere, if we're not careful, we come to think we, this is such a serious moment that we can't enjoy coming to the presence of God. We can't express gladness in the presence of God. And yet, this is such a joyful and wonderful time. Psalm 100 is filled with joy. Oh, sure, these moments should fill us with a sense of awe. There are times when the singing fills me with awe as we're standing in the presence of a holy God. There are times when, when I'm preaching, and there are those moments, you know, some Sundays the sermon doesn't work, but other Sundays the sermon works, and, and the words that you're given are like the words from God, and there are those moments in that, in that assembly when the word goes out from this place and the room grows quiet. It's like you can hear a pin drop. The kids aren't crying. I mean, it's just, it's just quiet. It's, you have this sense of awe in the presence of God. We've had those experiences in worship. But friends, not only do we experience awe in worship, we're to experience joy when we come together in these, during this time of worship. And there are times when we're singing, and I'm just so filled with joy. And really, Psalm 100 accentuates this idea. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 100, verse 1, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Think about it. The first imperative in this psalm is to shout. Now, already, I realize some of you are getting nervous because you say, no, other churches shout. We don't shout. We're not much into the shouting business here. But Psalm 100, it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, 
The word shout means make a loud, triumphant announcement, like, like a soldier who's won victory on the battlefield. I think, I think the psalmist is teaching us here that Sunday worship shouldn't be like sitting in a doctor's office or, or sitting at a funeral. No, when we come into the assembly, we come with joyful shouts of praise. We come with a spirit of gladness. Now I realize some of you are more reserved than others. And so you process things more internally. And though you're filled with joy, you know, saying amen or raising your hands in praise to the Lord, to to you it just doesn't quite seem right. I mean, internally you'd love to raise your hands, but you just can't quite get your hands past your belt, you know? So so maybe you're you're one of these people. You you, You lift your hands like this, perhaps. But others of you, others of you, are more outward in in your expression of joy. And so you love to shout amen, or you love to say praise the Lord, or you love to raise your hands, or you love to clap, and and that's okay. All of those are appropriate expressions. You know, when my children were little bitty, it was such a precious moment when they would sometimes walk into the room and they would lift up their hands. They would lift up their hands to me. And you know, I never once said to my kids, put down your hands, you little charismatics. I mean, I never said that. No. All they were doing, they were lifting up their hands to their father. And I realize for some of us that, you know, we're more discreet. That doesn't quite feel comfortable. But for others of you, it's okay to lift up your hands to the Lord. It's okay to clap. When, when someone is baptized into Jesus, I love the fact that when they come up out of the water, you as a, we as a church, we just, we applaud. That's a beautiful thing. And it's okay to clap in church. Psalm 40, uh, 67, rather, uh, 47, verse 1 says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. We all express our praise to God in different ways, and that's okay But the psalmist says, here's how we worship. We worship with joy and gladness. But he also says, we worship with thanksgiving. It says in verse 4, we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. Two times in the space of just one verse, we are told we're to give thanks to the Lord. The writer of this song really wants us to imagine that we're walking into the temple, we're walking through the gates, we're walking into the temple courts, we're about ready to worship, and and how do we walk in? With what spirit do we bring? He says we're to come in with thanksgiving. Now I know sometimes we don't always feel that way. Some of you this week have had a hard week. Maybe you got bad results from the doctor. Or perhaps your kids are rebelling and, and they really don't want to be here. Or maybe you've had job stress. Maybe you lost a job. And quite frankly, you don't feel like giving thanks. And so you enter with your arms folded, or you enter with your head down, or you enter with a discouraged heart, or a cold heart, or maybe even a broken heart. For the last few months, uh, I've had the opportunity to be part of a, a gathering on Wednesday evenings called Grief Share. Uh, and, and this is really a support group for people who have lost loved ones. And we had probably around 20 people in that room. And, and every, every week when we gather, I always say, it takes a lot of courage for you to be here tonight. 
Because you see, when, when your heart is broken, when you've experienced a, a deep loss and you're experiencing incredible pain, there's some weeks you don't feel like giving thanks. And so you don't want to come and sit around and, and talk about moving through grief. But in one of the sessions, we watched a video, and there was a, a lady on the video, and she talked about uh, losing her husband and how hard that was. And she said one day it was especially hard for her, and she decided to go to the lake. And she said for about an hour, she just started thanking God. She said, I thank God for the green grass. And I thank God for the birds that were singing. And I thank God for the sunshine. And I thank God for her health. She said, everything I looked and saw, I realized it was a gift from God, and I thank God for him. I, I thank God for the lake, and I thank God for legs that would work so I could walk. And she said, she said when she first started that, when she, she first went to the lake, her, her head was down, and she, she was walking kind of slowly, but she said the more she began to thank God, the more she began to think of all these things for which she had to be thankful, she said, I started walking a little faster, my head was up, and she said by the time that hour was over, it was like I was marching, and God had done an incredible thing, she said, in my heart. What was it? God, God, had been give, uh, God gave her this miraculous spirit of joy. And so when we gather in this place, we may not feel like it at times, but we gather in this place to lift up our eyes to God, to thank Him. Our southern culture, in, in many ways, is a very polite culture. It's a very good culture. I've received more thank you notes, probably, since being here than any place I've ever lived. It's important for us to teach our kids to say thank you and to write thank you notes and all of that. And yet there's one thing I'm concerned about. We can be so concerned about giving everybody else thanks. We can be so concerned about writing so many notes to everybody else. And if we're not careful, we don't lift our eyes up and we forget to thank the one who's blessed us with everything. We forget to thank the one who's blessed us with life and health and a church and salvation and heaven and eternity and the Holy Spirit and on and on it goes. And so we gather in this place this is the time when we can worship God and thank Him. How do we worship? Well, just, just look at the imperatives in Psalm 100. We shout. We come before Him. We know. We enter. We give thanks. We praise His name. That's how we worship. But as I said at the very beginning of this message, how we worship is in response to who we worship. We, we come here to worship God. Henry Ward Beecher was a preacher in Brooklyn in the late 1800s, and he was probably the most well-known preacher in all of America in the late 1800s. He was like the Max Licato or the Billy Graham of his day, and, and, and Henry Ward Beecher had this incredible gift with words, and as a result, his church grew and flourished, and people would come literally from all over the world to Brooklyn, to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, to hear him preach. One Sunday morning, uh, he was absent. No one really knew about it, but, but as the service began, word began, started spreading through the assembly that, that Henry Ward Beecher wasn't there, that his brother was going to preach. And so people began to get up as if they were about ready to leave. And so the brother stopped the song. He walked to the pulpit. 
And he said to everyone, everyone who has come here today to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now leave. Everyone who has come here to worship God may remain. Makes a powerful point, doesn't it? We, we gather in this space to worship God. It's all about God. If you look at your worship order on the front page of the a bulletin, um, the words that are written there are um, not by accident. And so you notice the first phrase in that worship order, it says we, we're, uh, it's a time when God calls us to worship. See, we need to be reminded of this. We come into the space with a thousand things on our mind, but during that opening 15 minutes, we need to be reminded that it's God who's called us together. God is present. He's called us to be here. And so that, those first few minutes is that call to worship, to lift up our eyes, to, to not look at ourselves, but to lift up our eyes to God. And then the second part of our worship gathering, it says that God invites us to the table. I appreciate Chris's words just a few moments ago. We come to the table by invitation of God. And Jesus really is the host. It's all about who's present. We're in the presence of Jesus. And then the third part, God speaks to us through his word. Whoever stands right here and whoever, whoever speaks in this place, it's not about us. It's not about our opinions and ideas. No, we're, we're opening the very word of God and we're bringing a word of God to bear on whatever struggle we're, we're dealing with in our life. We, we get to hear from God as the word is read and as the word is preached. But worship's not going to end in just a few moments. In just a few moments, we're going to have the invitation and, and then an elder will get up and pray. And we'll stand and we'll leave out of the, these, these doors. And some of us will go to, a lot of us will go to classes and others will go home. Worship doesn't end then. No, no, God, God at this point, he, he sends us out. That's the move in, in the service. God sends us out to be a blessing. The things we talk about in here, what we experience in here, it should so shape us and change us that we're going to be different at work. And we're going to be different neighbors. It's going to affect how we parent and affect how we handle our money and affect how we, we look at life and how we look at death and how we look at fear, how we look at everything. God is now going to send us. His people are a sent people. We, we gather and then we scatter. We're sent out to make a difference. In Psalm 100, we are told, know that the Lord is is God. The word Lord there is, is the personal name for God. We serve a personal God. He made us. He is our creator. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows all about us. We are his people. We're the sheep, as this psalm says, the sheep of his pasture. You see, I love that imagery. Reminds me of Luke chapter 15 when that one sheep wanders away and this shepherd doesn't say, well, at least I got 99 others. It's, it's pretty good. No, no, no. He leaves the 99 in the open field and he goes looking for the one sheep that's lost because he cares for his sheep that much. That's the kind of God that we serve. But there's more. You see, how we worship is in response to who we worship. There's more in this passage. In verse 5 it says, for the Lord is good that's such a beautiful sentiment because of the work i do i I meet uh, with a lot of people who've experienced bad things at the hands of other people people who should have been good to them right now i'm i'm thinking of a young lady i'm not i'm not free to describe all the details of her story but i know her life 
and to know how her life is forever changed, forever impacted in a negative way because of an experience she had with people who should have been good to her, who should have loved her, and yet they didn't. And it literally breaks my heart. Human beings have, have such a capacity to do bad things to one another. How comforting it is to know that we, we do not have a God like that. Our God is good. We can trust Him. This God will never hurt us. But there's more because verse 5, it says His love endures forever. This is a God who is good and this is a God who is also loving. The word for love in, in Psalm 100 that word in verse 5, that word may be the most important word in your Hebrew Bible, in your Old Testament. It's a word that when you say it, it almost sounds like a German word. It's kind of guttural. It's the word chesed. And it's a word that means, it's, sometimes it's translated loving kindness, sometimes it's translated mercy. On the one hand, it describes God's love and passion for his people, but on the other hand, it describes God's loyalty to his people. He made a covenant, and now he's going to keep it. That's the kind of love he has. And this enduring love, this, this loyal love, is, is in stark contrast to the way that we often love one another. We love one another when it's easy. We love one another when there's something in it for us. We love one another, you know, when it, when it doesn't cost us a lot of difficult or hardship. God's love just keeps on flowing. And when I understand that kind of love, it makes me want to worship him. It makes me want to praise him. I worship this God who is good. I worship this God who is loving. But there's even something else. His faithfulness, it says, his faithfulness continues through all generations. God is faithful. God is dependable. He is faithful even when we're unfaithful to him. The story of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 28 really is the story of God's faithful love for us. God's incredible faithfulness. Though we as people, we break covenant. We're unfaithful. God is never unfaithful. His, his faithfulness continues through all generations. God never gives up on us. This past week, um, a lot of weeks I get to go to the jail to be part of some recovery classes that, that we do there. And this week as we went around and the guys were describing their lives and things they've experienced and some of the guys in the class, they're, they're looking at, at a lot of jail time and they described, you know, their struggles with addictions and they described their struggles with, with you know, crime, all sorts of things. And one of the guys said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, he said, I, I know, though, though other people give up on me. And a lot of these guys, people have given up on them. I mean, they have broken promise after promise after promise. They've created a lot of hurt and heartache and havoc in other people's lives and in families and friends. They just, they, they move back from them. They've given up on them. And on one hand, you sort of can understand that. But this guy in the class said to me, I know, though others have given up, God never gives up on me. God will always give me another chance. And I thought he is absolutely right. It's not that God just loves us when we get our lives right and we get our lives perfect. No, he's faithful. 
God's faithfulness, it continues through all generations. And so quite honestly, sometimes we come into this place and we don't really feel like worshiping. How do we get in a proper mindset? Uh, Do we try to psych ourselves up in the car before we get here? Uh, Do we at times beat ourselves up for not feeling the right way? Do we say, I'm not going to gather on that Sunday because, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I feel so burdened down and beaten down. Here's what we do. We remember the God we worship. We worship a God who is good, a God who is love, a God who is incredibly faithful to us, and that that reminds me of Jesus. Because Jesus was so good. He he spent time with people that others overlooked. Uh, When the crowds were coming to him and the disciples wanted to send them away because they felt so overwhelmed and they didn't know how they could take care of all the needs, Jesus said, no, 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 let's let's just feed them. When people were bringing their children to Jesus and the disciples thought, well, kids, what can they do? We've got more important work to do. You know, move the children back. Jesus said, oh, oh, no, no, You, you bring these children to me. Jesus is so good, but Jesus... Jesus is so loving. He loved us all the way to the cross. Those he looked out on that crowd and he saw anger and hate. And though he had been spit on and beaten and nails driven through his hands and feet, his first words were, Father, forgive them. And Jesus is so utterly faithful to us. Jesus right now, he has a ministry going on right now. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, and what is he doing? He's interceding for you, and he's interceding for me. How we worship is in response to who we worship. Our God is so good. He's incredibly loving and amazingly faithful. And that makes me want to be where he is. And maybe today you find yourself far from God. Maybe you're far from God because your heart has been far from him. Maybe you're burdened down and perhaps you need someone to pray with you and help you. We'll have shepherds and their wives in the back corners. They would love to minister to you. They would love to tell you about this good God. Or perhaps you would like to meet me down front and you'd like to be baptized, having your sins washed away. You'd like to begin this journey with the Lord. I don't know where you are or how we can help you, but I can tell you we'd love to help you. Come as we stand and as we sing.